Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to Madison and the surrounding communities. I'm Madison Delier, a local East High Schooler. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all other great programming on WRT possible. Hello, I am David Delier. Today we delve into the issue of Palestine and labor reaction. Learn about UAW's ongoing organizing efforts. Get an update on two labor contracts by OPEIU Local 3 and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. The workers who cannot organize the bosses send their lackeys out to cheat us. OPEIU Local 39 has been in two long-standing negotiations for its members, one at Madison Gas and Electric and the other at True Stage, the former CUNA Mutual. Labor Radio has learned that this week, Local 39 has reached tentative agreements with bo- both those employers, with the tentative agreements with MG and 3 coming on Monday and the True Stage true stage agreement achieved on Wednesday, both agreements must still go to the membership for approval. Frank Amspec spoke to the local 39 member who is on the bargaining committee with MG and 3. After eight months of negotiations, OPEIU, Local 39, and Madison Gas and Electric reached a tentative contract settlement. OPEIU represents clerical workers at Madison Gas and Electric. Members will vote on the settlement next week. The contract is retroactive to June 1st, 2023. Labor Radio spoke with Kelsey Hahn, chief steward and member of the negotiating committee. Kelsey Hahn outlined some of the key points. So we are getting 4.25% in year one, 4% in year two, and 3.25 for years uh, three through five. Uh, Years three through five also have protections on them surrounding inflation. We wound up with a slightly different breakdown from what IBEW got for their wage table, but it is the same percentage over the life of the contract. Did also get a $2,000 ratification bonus for all members. We will also get retro pay back to May 1st, 2023, which... What was the percentage wage increase you got? Well, when we spoke earlier, one of the goals of the local was to achieve parity with the IBW as regards to percentage of the wage increase. Did you achieve that goal? We did. It looks a little bit different, like yours a little bit different, but it is the same percentage over the life of the contract. So I think we can feel pretty good about that. Something we did also discuss with the company sort of as part of arriving at this is We have a lot of wage tables and job titles and classifications that are very out of date, don't make a ton of sense. The steps are very uneven. And that's something that we talked to the company about working on over the next couple of years of this contract to try to get sorted out better progressions for some of our employees. So there's a lot of changes like that that we're going to look into making. Nobody will take a pay cut as part of that. That is also part of the agreement. What are the aspects of the contract that you're most proud of? I'm really happy to see us finally getting parental leave. That is extremely overdue. That is something that 2023 shouldn't be a thing that we had zero of, but it was a thing we had zero of. I'm really happy that we got the ratification bonus out there for our members. You know, retro pay can take a while, I think. Honestly, I'm proudest that we just, we got there 
in the timeline that we did. There's a lot of things that are out there in this contract around like the parental leave, like sick leave, like improved vacation that are going to be able to take effect 1124 if we ratify this on Monday, which is really great. And I'm really glad that we were able to get some get to something where that was something where we could get make that possible for our members without having it be a huge trade off in other areas. Can you describe the process that resulted in this success? How did you maintain member support during this seven or eight month period? It's been really cool to see, honestly. You know, I we've been communicating a lot with our members about the contract. I've heard a lot from members about, you know, how good that communication is, which I appreciate because I sometimes worry I bothering them too much, but I apparently that hasn't been the case. And it really feels like our unit has just gotten stronger and communicated better and better and better as this has worn on, um, which has been really cool to see. You know, I, I think there had been the idea, I don't know from the company or n- not, that, you know, maybe we'd get worn down after after sort of these extended negotiations. And really, I was we were all seeing as a bargaining team the opposite trajectory of just feeling like our members were getting more and more engaged. So we're kind of going out on a high note and it's really cool to see. And so now we just want to be able to keep that up. I'm excited to have that to keep working with and keep going. That was Kelsey Hahn, Chief Steward of OPIU Local 39 at Madison Gas and Electric, describing their new tentative agreement with Madison Gas and Electric. The members will vote on whether to accept or reject it next week. I'm Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. And as noted at the top of the story, OPEIU Local 39 has also reached a tentative agreement with another major local employer, TrueStage, the former CUNA Mutual. Both the MG&E and TrueStage agreements now go to their respective memberships. Tomorrow, a statewide coalition is rallying in Madison in solidarity with the people of Palestine, and organized labor will be there. Greg Jabowski has the report. Tomorrow, the Wisconsin Coalition for Justice in Palestine, a statewide coalition formed in October, which now has over 50 organizations as members, will hold a rally in March in Madison in what is being called the Wisconsin All Out for Palestine March, and representatives of organized labor will be there. Labor Radio spoke to Jacob Flom, a delegate to the Milwaukee Area Federation of Labor and president of Ask Me Local 526, which represents workers in the Milwaukee Public Museum, who explains why tomorrow's action is important for labor. So this is a, an issue that everybody should care about, but in particular for working people, just because we're not benefiting from this war. Working people aren't the ones calling for this war. It's the billionaire class is the one that's driving us to war yet again at our expense. And we're heeding the call from workers in Palestine and the unions in Palestine who are asking for our solidarity as they're under attack with these never-ending massacres and the genocide that's happening in Gaza. We see it as our duty as trade unionists. We dedicated much of our lives to fighting for our co-workers and working people when we're facing injustice that extends to the workers of Palestine as well. The coalition is making seven demands listed on its Facebook page, including lifting the siege of Gaza and an end to Israeli occupation of Palestine. It also calls for an end to USA to Israel, which Flom addresses here. One of the things that we want to call attention to is the fact that this war is being perpetrated by the U.S. government. And that's a reason that us as workers and as Americans, particular importance to us speaking out because it's our government that's making this genocide possible and this war and occupation and continuing apartheid of the Israeli regime. 
one of our demands is end all U.S. aid to Israel. The U.S. gives billions to Israel every year. Since October 7th, I've lost count of how many special bills have been passed to send even more and more billions to Israel for weapons to drop on Gaza. So we're calling for an end to U.S. aid to Israel, amongst other things. Healthcare workers will be there with their own contingent. Alex Dudek, a nurse currently represented by AFSCME and who formerly worked at UW Hospital as an SEIU member, helped form Healthcare Workers for Palestine Madison, which they describe here. Healthcare Workers for Palestine is an international movement of healthcare workers, whether it's physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, lab techs, coming together to call for justice for Palestine. In Madison, we have created a branch, Healthcare Workers for Palestine Madison, to support the movement locally. Dudek explains the special importance of Palestine solidarity to healthcare workers. This is important for workers in general because this is an issue that, that impacts all of us. And it's especially important for healthcare workers because the occupation of Palestine itself is a public health crisis. We feel that it's necessary to speak up and speak out in order to draw attention to the issues that are happening. It's especially hitting close to home with healthcare workers being targeted by bombings and kidnappings. So we're standing with all Palestinians searching for liberation, but it's especially for those, those healthcare workers that we really feel for who have been providing care to folks for a long time. Dudek gave some details of their contingent at tomorrow's rally in March. As healthcare workers for Palestine Madison, we'll be collaborating with some healthcare workers from Milwaukee as well to participate in the labor contingent of the statewide march for Palestine. That'll be on Saturday at 1 p.m. We're encouraging any and all healthcare professionals to support. Palestinian liberation to come out and march with us behind our banner. Our banner says healthcare workers against genocide. And that's a really important part of our movement. Jacob Flam encourages all union members and supporters to attend tomorrow's event. The rally is going to start at one o'clock at the state capitol in Madison on the State Street side at the Forward Statue. Folks who are union members or healthcare workers and they want to join the union contingent should look for the labor banners. We should have three or four big banners. It should be pretty easy to find. We'll have a big yellow banner that says, Workers Unite for Free Palestine. We're going to have a Labor for Palestine banner and a Healthcare Workers for Palestine banner. Come join the, the union contingent or whatever contingent you want to join and show solidarity with the people of Palestine. It was Jacob Flom, president of AFSCME Local 526 on tomorrow's Wisconsin All Out for Palestine March, starting tomorrow, Saturday, December 9th at 1 in the afternoon at the State Street corner of the Capitol. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. Continuing with this story, we look at conflicts over the Palestine issue within organized labor. The continued assault on the people of the Gaza Strip has caused fissures in the American labor movement, with support from the people of Palestine often coming from rank-and-file and local leadership, but facing opposition from leaders at the state and international levels. Jacob Flom, who was interviewed in our last segment, described some of the pressure faced in the labor movement by supporters of Palestine. There's definitely been suppression within the AFL-CIO of 
speech and actions in support of Palestine. I think they're very hesitant to criticize the Biden administration for one who is not just complicit, but he's the one carrying out the genocide. I think they're very concerned about being critical of Biden and maybe concerned about being critical of the weapons industry. There are some unionized industries that have ties to, you know, the weapons industry. So there's definitely been suppression of resolutions that have been passed in some cities and some labor councils. The AFL-CIO, the nation's largest labor federation, has recently explicitly discouraged resolutions on international matters, which has been understood as arising from resolutions in support of solidarity with Palestinians, Flom explains. I can't speak as a board member of the Labor Council, but I'm on the board of the Labor Council, but not representing them here. But I can say in my position that information has been shared with me that makes it clear that the AFL has sent communications out that they do not want their local labor councils and state federations taking positions on international issues. That was Jacob Flom, president of AFSCME Local 536. As of right now, officially, even the rather limited demand of a call for a ceasefire in Palestine is opposed by most international union leaderships. But some labor organizations have bucked the AFL-CIO and President Biden. The United Auto Workers, the UAW, is as of now the largest international to call for a ceasefire in Gaza, and the American Postal Workers Union, the APWU, has also called for a ceasefire. And in an article in Nation magazine, the APWU's president, Mark Dimenstein, an AFL-CIO international board member, made the call, let's bring the war dollars home. Unions not affiliated with the AFL-CIO, such as the United Electrical Workers, the UE, and some independent teachers' unions have also called for a ceasefire, as have some of the locals of the International Longshore Workers' Union, the ILWU. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Chabosky. Beverage vendors at one of Wisconsin's most revered sports venues won a contest of their own this week, one of union representation. Labor Radio spoke with the Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers Union about the campaign. A site of pilgrimage for Wisconsin's sports faithful, now a new node in an expanding network of worker power in the state. 65 beverage vendors at Green Bay's historic Lambeau Field are now unionized, represented by MASH, the Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers Union. My name is Peter Rickman, and I am the president of MASH. We organize and represent uh, workers in the service and hospitality sectors. Labor Radio spoke to MASH president Peter Rickman about the campaign. Rickman says that, like many hospitality workers in Wisconsin, the working lives of Lambeau's seasonally employed beverage vendors was one of precarity, one where the boss held all the cards. And too often, that's what working people across industries and different types of jobs hear from their employers. You don't like it? Go get a job somewhere else. Well, it's not like the vendors are just going to go get a job as a vendor at some other stadium for an NFL franchise in the United States or find the next arena or stadium down the street in Green Bay. And they realized that this was something that Delaware North did because they have all the power. And for every single working person who punches the clock in a non-union workplace, the boss has all the power. That sense of precarity was sharpened by an abrupt cut to vendors' wages in recent years bringing their compensation to the lowest among the National Football League's numerous stadium venues. The vendors, who are employed by multinational corporation Delaware North, started organizing surreptitiously last year. Rickman said it did not take long to gather majority support. And so we started building an organizing committee underground last May and put ourselves in the position with individual conversations to be prepared to go public 
the first home games of the Green Bay Packers this year. So within the very first home game, we had dropped union authorization cards and had achieved a clear majority by halftime. And by the time the game was over, we had a super majority of Lambeau vendors who had signed union cards. Rickman says that ensuring the newly formed unit was worker-led and member-driven was a crucial part of MASH's organizing strategy. I think that one thing that was really you know, compelling to me through this process is the greatest voices on behalf of the union were not someone who's a professional organizer and negotiator. I didn't try to do that because we had members of ours from Pfizer Forum who work up at Lambeau Field. We had former Lambeau vendors who are members of ours at Pfizer Forum who could go to people in this uh, bargaining unit and say, let me tell you about why I love my union. And without me telling them what to say, they were singing the praises of what it means to have a union like this, a member-driven, democratic, worker-centered union. Ultimately, Delaware North did not voluntarily recognize the union, opting instead to request an election through the National Labor Relations Board. That election, which took place on Sunday, was decisive. 87% of the vendors voting in favor of unionization. Through the bargaining process, which vendors hope to wrap up before the end of this year's NFL season, Stability is finally back on the table. Yeah, every year the company would ask people if they wanted to come back in spring and summer. And the company had sole authority to be able to say, well, we're not going to offer you a spot back for the season. But now winning a union and moving to a secure contract, these workers will have guaranteed continuity of employment. I mean, the contract isn't coterminous with the NFL seasons. It'll simply be day to day, every single day. They make up covered by the union contract. They go to work there. And all the work will be covered by the contract, too. You have been listening to the voice of MASH President Peter Rickman. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup. The United Auto Workers is organizing a third bid to represent Volkswagen workers in Tennessee. Carol Wheeler has the story. Today, workers at Volkswagen's Chattanooga, Tennessee assembly plant announced their third bid to unionize plant-wide with the United Auto Workers. Riding the momentum of its strike of the big three automakers, the UAW now stands to double its numbers in the auto industry by adding 150,000 workers at companies that have long avoided unionization. Thirteen non-union automakers are on notice. Honda, Toyota, Hyundai, Nissan, Subaru, Mazda, Mercedes, Volvo, BMW, Volkswagen, and electric vehicle producers Rivian, Tesla, and Lucid. The union says it has been inundated with calls and online signups by workers at these firms. The Volkswagen drive is the first to go public after 1,000 workers signed union cards. The UAW's two previous attempts to organize the full Chattanooga plant fell short narrowly in 2014. Workers lost by 86 votes. In 2019, the plant came even closer, losing by just 57 votes, with 93% turnout. There were 1,700 workers at the plant then. Some 3,800 workers today build the Atlas and Cross Sports SUV as well as the electric ID.4. In 2015, a smaller group of skilled trade union workers won their election by a vote of 108 to 44, joining UAW Local 42, which had formed as a minority union following the 2014 loss. But the company refused to negotiate with the smaller union, delaying in the courts. 
the UAW quietly jettisoned the effort, filing instead for the full unit in 2019. After the 2019 defeat, workers kept the flame of organizing alive, meeting regularly and running a petition for the right to use their paid time off outside of the company's annual week-long maintenance shutdown. You either keep pushing or die, Steve Cochran, a skilled trades worker in the battery plant maintenance department, told NPR in October. Cochran was the president of the minority union, UAW Local 42. Labor Notes is the source of this story. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. Next, Greg Jabowski talks to a public sector worker about the effects of Act 10 and recent hopes for legal action. In late November, seven public sector unions filed a lawsuit seeking to overturn Wisconsin's notorious Act 10, a 2011 law that was designed to weaken and ultimately destroy public sector unions. Plaintiffs include two AFSCME locals, Teamsters Local 695, the UW Teaching Assistance Association AFT Local 3220, and teachers unions in Abbotsford and Beaver Dam. Also participating is SEIU Wisconsin, representing workers across the state. Labor Radio spoke this afternoon to Wayne Rasmussen, president of SEIU Local 152, representing workers at the Racine Unified School District and vice president of property services at SEIU Wisconsin. Rasmussen described how the cumulative effect of Act 10 has hurt his workplace. When Act 10 went into place, it took away our collective bargaining rights. So other than being able to negotiate for base wages, when it comes time for trying to improve retirements or other benefits along health care, the district I work for doesn't want to have discussions about that. With that, as we are losing these benefits, we're losing workers. So it's not all just about wages, it's about the entire benefit package. So if workers aren't happy with the total benefit package, which we can't negotiate, they're going to go find other work elsewhere. Exactly, as it was no doubt designed to do, Act 10 has gradually eroded solidarity, as Rasmussen describes. A lot of the newer people in the collective bargaining unit don't understand that what they've got so far was fought for, for by the union over the years. There's a large number of newer employees that come in and don't want to pay union dues. But without the union dues or having that camaraderie, it just is a disconnected workforce. We don't have a singular voice going forward. Everybody starts talking to management themselves, and it gets difficult. Another difficulty posed by Act 10 is this requirement that unions hold a recertification election every year. Rasmussen described how his union uses this as an opportunity for member communication. Have a lot of conversations when we're in buildings, have a lot of conversations uh, by text messaging, send out emails reminding people that the election's taking place. It's their right to vote, and hopefully they take the time to vote. The biggest drawback about the recertification election, if a person doesn't vote, it's considered a no vote right away. But we have a lot of conversations with people, have groups of people going through the buildings, hanging posters up, getting messages out, text messages, emails, just anything and everything to try to get everybody to understand this is the time the recertification needs to take place. And Rasmussen says that this has brought good results. This year, we had a fairly good turnout. We had 71% vote in favor of the union. That was great for us. Rasmussen is confident that his union will rebound quickly should there be a legal win in the current lawsuit, and Act 10 is eliminated. And Rasmussen describes how the lawsuit has itself helped public sector unions to work together. Well, it's bringing all the unions together. The big unions going together. We got ASME, we got SAIU, we got the teachers union, and everybody's working for the same outcome. Everybody wants to get Act 10 repealed. 
That was Wayne Rasmussen, president of SEIU Local 152 in Racine. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. MTI leaves the South Central Federation of Labor, even as unions go on the legal offensive to overturn Act 10. But as Frank Emsbach reports, the destruction caused by Act 10 is still with us. When the Republicans and Governor Walker rammed Act 10 through the legislature, they alleged that it would save the state millions of dollars. But many of the provisions in Act 10 had nothing to do with the state and everything to do with bankrupting the trade union movement. Specifically, the Act prevented and prohibited public sector employees to directly deduct union dues from union members' paychecks and send that money directly to the union. Ten years later, the deleterious effects of this aspect of the law are still being felt. Recently, Madison Teachers, Inc. withdrew from membership in the South Central Federation of Labor, or SCUFFLE. MTI will continue to work with SCUFFLE, but no longer pay dues to the Federation. While MTI did not issue any public explanation of this decision, it is likely that one factor was the continued expense of membership at a time of increasing inflation and the need to maintain its collective bargaining and legal responsibilities, all of which cost money. While Scuffle is engaged in stimulating organizing at various locations, the organizing is yet to produce any meaningful income for the Fed. Meanwhile, the press has reported that the future of the Madison Labor Temple is in play. The building sits on an increasingly valuable piece of property at 1602 South Park Street. A consortium of unions owns the building. They will be deciding in the next few months what to do with the building and surrounding property. Both the South Central Federation of Labor, as an organization, and the Labor Temple are definable and significant public presence of the labor movement and working people in Madison. That identifiable public presence is needed now more than ever. The long-term financial effects of Act 10 endanger both. Governor Walker's prediction that Act 10 would strangle the labor movement is still relevant, and the legal challenge to it is more important than ever. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. And now for some announcements. The Wisconsin Farmers Union is holding its its 93rd annual convention this weekend in Wisconsin Dells. The Wisconsin Farmers Union is committed to improving the quality of life for family farmers, rural communities, and all people through educational opportunities and civic engagement. It supports cooperative education and cooperative business development. Wisconsin Farmers Union was chartered in 1930 in Menominee, motivated by economic and agricultural depression. It is headquartered in Chippewa Falls. For more information about this weekend's convention, contact Kristen Slaughter on 608-514-2031 or go to the Wisconsin Farmers Union website. The Holiday Fantasy in Lights is up and running at Olin Park. The Fantasy in Lights features the cartoon characters we all know and love, plus animals like crocodiles that open and close their jaws. The Fantasy in Lights is open from dusk to dawn through December 31st. Admission is free. Candy canes are given out from 4.30 to 10 p.m. Sponsors include the Electric Group and IBEW Local 159. The exit booths are staffed by members of IBEW Local 2304. 
including the staff of WORT. All are welcome to the Fantasy and Lights, Olin Park, from dusk to dawn, every day of the week. Final number this evening, we'd like to play a piece written by my brother Nat. It's called Work Song. And I think it's only just that at this point to note that the melody has been set to words and a fine lyric by my host and your host, Oscar Brown Jr. Here is Work Song. One, two, Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Madison Delier. Thanks to editor Frank Emsbeck, assistant Robin G, reporters Greg Gobaski, Jean Harrup, Janie Ramsey, Carol Wheeler, engagement editor Alice Herman, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all of our readers members of local WRT staff collective. And I'm David Delier. We also like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the Professor Bill Clark.